At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 302nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have a couple of people who are helping transform a community. We're talking with Diane Cui Castellanos and Stephen Mackle about community green spaces. Diana holds a PhD in nutrition and food systems and is a registered dietitian teaching courses in community nutrition and food justice at the University of Dayton. Her research interests include community-based participatory research, food insecurity, and food environments. Stephen started volunteering for Mission of Mary Cooperative as an undergraduate at the University of Dayton and joined the staff full-time as a production and operations manager after completing his bachelor's degree in economics and philosophy. He is also the founder of Compost Dayton, a company working to expand food scrap composting efforts by City of Dayton residents. Together, they have been working on Lincoln Hill Gardens, a sustainable, multi-purpose urban agriculture and community green space within Dayton's Twin Towers neighborhood. This five-acre site located among the residents it will serve is being transformed with educational and recreational elements that increase neighborhood access to fresh, healthy foods and offer open green space for community gatherings and nature play. Welcome to the show today, Diana and Stephen. Are you ready to rock? We are. Nice. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, so several years ago, three community partners came together, specifically around this vacant lot in the Twin Towers neighborhood, the five acres that you described. And they each had different interests in the project, but basically they wanted to see the space retained as a neighborhood green space and a space where outdoor education and recreation and urban farming could happen all together. So that was the University of Dayton's Hanley Sustainability Institute, East End Community Services, which is a social service nonprofit agency in Dayton, and then Mission of Mary Cooperative, the urban farm that I work for. So how did the university, Mission of Mary, and the East End all come together? Because this seems seems like a really great partnership. Mission of Mary Farm had been having university students come and volunteer for kind of several years as we established our urban farm. We have four locations throughout the neighborhood that we farm on. And then this particular piece of land, East End Community Services, who works really closely with community members, and they do community organizing and so forth, they really wanted 
the residents of the neighborhood really wanted that piece of land to stay undeveloped and open for community green space. Mm -hmm. It had formerly been a Dayton Public School that had been demolished. And so when that was demolished, the neighborhood uh-huh. wanted to see something happen with the property. So that's where East End and Mission and Mary kind of came together. And then the university, being the host of lots of able-bodied students, interested in getting them out to volunteer, but also the students out to do community-engaged learning and to do projects in and amongst City of Dayton residents, I think, was really where the connection all came together. Mm-hmm. And Diana, how is the university involved? The university is involved on different levels. So one way that the university is involved is by offering interns. So with partnership with Mission and Mary Farms, there's interns or summer interns that go and work <laughs> alongside of Stephen, as well as East End, and helping to do the stuff of the garden. Also, one of the big things is we have a center on campus also called the FIT Center. The FIT Center and Hanley Sustainability Institute work very closely together. The purpose of the FIT Center is to increase community engagement and community partnership between University of Dayton and community organizations. And the FIT Center has worked really closely with East End in the past, mm-hmm. and then also with Mission of Mary. So when this partnership happened. It was very natural just because we'd already been working with both of these groups. And then also with the Hanley Sustainability Institute starting back in 2014, 2015. And one of the purposes of Hanley Sustainability Institute was to focus on food. So they kind of have three tiers. It's water, food, and energy. Mm-hmm. So it was a natural partnership. So now you have students that are able to intern at the farm as well as Students that are just going during their semester to volunteer for volunteer hours for civic engagement. And then also professors such as myself use this opportunity for community engagement. So during the food justice course, my students go and work alongside with Missionary Farms in East End. Awesome. Um, to gain experience and to be able to bring that, that, that learning into the classroom. Right. One of the things that I do with my students when I, when I teach is I actually go out and get them engaged in the dirt. I have them go out and work on a project. So I I know how valuable it is to take it out of the classroom and actually get them dirty, so to speak. Have you seen that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I try to include community engagement into as many classes as I can and try to do it in a way that is a win-win for the community as well for the students. But just Mm -hmm. the stories that the students come back with and how much their eyes are open, but then also I just think it's really important for them to get outside of their UD bubble, to get outside of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Lincoln Hill, Lincoln Hill is not even two miles from our campus. So it's very accessible to students. And I always, I feel like two UD students are part of that community. So I think when they go to Lincoln Hill, they then feel like they're a part of not just UD, but they're, they feel like they're a part of the greater Dayton community as well. And I think that's really important for these students. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Diana. I want you to think about the landscape of your student population. And is there one that stands out that it made the biggest difference to or a big difference to that you can think of? Wow, that's a really good question because I have so many stories from so many of the students. So give me one of them. 
I had two students just a few months ago that went down to Easton Community Center, and every month there's a food distribution that comes through Easton Community Center, and a church brings down food, and there's a whole food bank. It's a, it's a food distribution. And so my students went down to do some cooking demonstrations. So they were going to take some of the produce that was being offered uh-huh. and then look at other foods that were being given and trying to put together like a healthy meal and then show people as they came and got their food, what that healthy meal would look like, right? Mm-hmm. So here are the foods you're getting. How do we create a healthy meal from this? And they were doing just some questionnaires of, hey, do you know how to cook? What do you know how to cook? What do you want to learn to cook? Because they're going to continue this work. And coming through the line, there were several people that worked at UD that came through the food distribution line. Uh-huh. And my students came back and they were really perplexed by this. And they came back and said, there, there were people that work at the University of Dayton that were going through the food distribution line. Why? And I think their eyes were just open to wow. the reality of the everyday struggle for food and can, the reality of, of food insecurity and the importance of trying to increase food access for all populations. And that the people that they interact with every day right. could, be, could be struggling with food insecurity. Please define find food insecurity for us, for our listeners that don't know. So food insecurity is the ability to obtain food in a socially acceptable way to live a healthy and physical, physically active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's the ability to obtain food in a socially acceptable way to live a healthy and physically active lifestyle. So those people that are food insecure don't have access to Yes, safe, healthy, culturally appropriate food. There's different definitions out there. So I want to transition a little bit here. I'm looking at a picture of your garden space, and this isn't a small space. And Stephen, you said that it was an old grade school. How many acres is it? And tell us about the project itself. Yeah, certainly. So the lot that we're working with is about five acres, and it's sort of plateaued. There's maybe three acres up on top of the plateau and then pretty severe hillside and then a small one-acre area down below. Mm-hmm. There's also a wooded part of the property with, with a hillside with woods. And so it kind of enables us to do and plan around a lot of different activities or programs that could happen up on the space. And so one of the, the no-brainers for Mission of Mary especially was to put in vegetable production, urban farm. Mm-hmm. up on the site, not taking up the whole site, but a, a large enough garden for us to substantially add to our produce that we grow annually. So, so that was really the first step in activating the five-acre site. And then as we continue to build out the site, the next thing that we implemented was a community garden. So rentable raised bed plots for neighbors who already know how to garden or are already inspired to do so to come and rent a plot alongside mm-hmm. of our urban farm right. and do cultivation for themselves. Wow. And so th- what, like I said, I'm looking at a graphic representation. It's actually not a photograph. It's a like a drawing of it. What is actually in space on the five acres as, you know, as we're recording this? Yeah, so we've started up on the north side of the property with the three high tunnels, two of which are movable on rails. Oh, nice. And the vegetable production area up there. Mm-hmm. And then moving down to the south, the community garden beds are, have been built and installed and, and used for this current growing season that we're just finishing. And then the event space and the event lawn hasn't been built out yet, but we've started to hold large community events up on the vacant lot 
up there. Oh, nice. And then kind of going forward, this fall, we'll be installing a fruit orchard, a fruit nut orchard up on the site, and we'll have a neighborhood build day to do that. And then the next element, which may happen before the winter, is some of the nature playscapes. So using the logs and felled trees and Mm -hmm. natural elements on the site to kind of build into the profile a nature playground. Wow. How cool is that? What might that look like? I'm not totally sure yet. We actually have a student from University of Dayton who's worked with the metro parks here in the region that have some nature playscapes, and she's designed elements so forth. She's a civil engineering student, and so she's going to be leading the build day when that comes in November. So we'll see what that looks like, but I imagine it'll be some wood teepees to play with and some mm-hmm. wooden steps to go up and down. We do have a quite a bit of an embankment, so we're hoping to put either an earthen slide or a slide that kind of goes down the hill as well. Cool. Do you guys get snow there? Yes. So it could be it could be a sled hill, huh? Yes. During this whole planning process for the whole five acres, we had neighborhood input meetings and we had intensive listening sessions with people on the block, but also in the neighborhood in general. And these folks have already been using the five acres. The school has been demolished for the past eight or nine years. So neighbors have gotten used to it being a green space and they've they've started sledding with their kids down the hill and they go up there to watch fireworks at the 4th of July because it overlooks the city of Dayton skyline. And so they have these images in their head of what the green space should be and what it should function like. And so our challenge, but also our privilege is to program a space and build out a space along to fit those uses. Yeah. And certainly food and gathering and events being really important and central to that. I was going to ask you how the neighbors are reacting to this. They've So they've come to play in the planning process. Have they come to play in the building process as well? Yes. At the very least, people walking by or driving by are very perplexed or have a lot of questions about the greenhouses. Many mm-hmm. of them haven't seen um you know, high tunnels and things like that before. And and we tell them, oh, we're growing food year-round up here and this and that. The rolling greenhouses are something that people are pretty interested in as well. But during our community garden build days, we had neighbors helping us fill the raised beds with soil and with compost and Mm -hmm. to lay the mulch pathways and so forth. So it's been an interesting mix for all the build days that we've had. We have University of Dayton students who are coming in from other parts of Ohio or around the region, and they're coming to this East Dayton, economically poor neighborhood, low food access. But we have neighbors from down the block coming to help with the build day. So it's an interesting mix of people all kind of coming together to do this one project and to kind of improve this neighborhood in this way. So it's a really cool coming together up at the space. Nice. What have been some of the challenges in these groups coming together? What have you run into? Diana, let's start with you. The challenges of the groups coming together. One of the big things, so a few years ago when I was teaching a food justice course, we went out and had students talk with neighbors, just, hey, what do you think about the space? And I think one of the biggest challenges is neighbors have seen people come into their neighborhood before and then just leave. Right. So one of the biggest challenges with the groups coming together is creating that trust and knowing that, hey, we are here. We are not going to leave. We are listening to you. We know that you are living here and we want to try to create something that increases quality of life for this neighborhood. And people are receptive to that, yes? Yes. And I think becoming more receptive as they see the dedication. And also you see Missionary Farms, who's been around here for eight to 10 years. You see Easton Community Center, who has been in the Twin Tower neighborhoods for years and years and years and provides services. And so that trust is being built, I think, just as time goes along as well. 
So this question is for both of you. Ideally, what is your vision of success of this space? To me, what I would think would be success is people coming together around the table, having a shared meal, bringing food to the forefront of people's minds. For many people, college students and also low-income folks, food is kind of a necessity that isn't thought about. Pop something in the microwave, order something, take out, go through the drive-thru. For a lot of these families, they're going through the beer and wine drive-thru. They're going to the gas stations in our neighborhood. There's no real great food access points. But to bring healthy food and wholesome food to the forefront of their minds, whether they're gardening it themselves or they're buying it from one of our farm stands or they're coming to eat it together with family and friends up at our events that we put on at the space. And the same for college students Mm -hmm. coming together, kind of be present in a real neighborhood in Dayton. You know, not just on campus, and mingling and interacting and learning from each other. We have neighbors on our street and in the neighborhood that grew up in Appalachia, and they've been having gardens and canning for generations. But now this younger generation growing up in urban Dayton and the kids, they don't have an interest in that. You know, They're interested in hot Cheetos and Mountain Dew and stuff. But the older generation still has these really tangible skills of canning and gardening and filling your homestead larder and things like that. And so a space where those sorts of skills can be passed down and learned and shared is really what success would look like to me up at Lincoln Hill. Beautiful. Diana? Yeah, I'll ditto everything that Stephen says. And as a dietitian, of course, I want to see people eating healthy food and increasing their quality of life through just, I think, what food can bring on so many different levels. But another thing that is the focus is as we're increasing food access and access to healthy food is to look at bringing back cultural intricacies that Stephen was talking about. So changing, and I don't even know if it's changing culture, just bringing culture back, right? So many people go, oh, you know, I'm just used to now drinking Coke, or I'm just used now to, Uh you know, I just want the hot fries. It's quick. It's easy. I don't have the skills to cook these foods. And so I don't even know where to start. So really decreasing those kind of cultural barriers past just the food access. So that would be success for me as one, giving people food access to healthy food, and then two, changing the behavior around around food. Nice. So Diana, how has your role as a dietitian helped in this project? And have you seen residents eating better? Sure. So I think I'm kind of coming into the project, even though I've been in the project a little bit, I think my role is going to really be more in the future. I do think that the focus right now has been mostly food access. There, mm-hmm. my I have had students that have created some curriculum for Steven. He does like a kids program in the summers. So he has a volunteer employee that works with him and and provides nutrition education to kids in the summers. And some of my students have worked on that with him. I worked really closely Mm -hmm. with Easton to provide nutrition education to some of the parents in one of the local schools, as well as doing these monthly cooking demonstrations for the community overall. One of our visions though, is to create and develop a community kitchen that would be on the Lincoln Hill site. We are starting a master's program right now at the University of Dayton in dietetics. And so our master's students, and they'll also be doing a dietetic internship at the same time, that they would be rotating through that community kitchen and working with their residents and creating culturally appropriate nutrition curriculum for for that kitchen. So that's what we're kind of hoping in the future. Again, I think it's going to be just little by little, hopefully that again, as we change food access, we'll also change that that behavior component as well. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. We've got one failure story from the build-out of the urban farming portion of the site. We had ordered these rolling greenhouse 
kits. We were building uh-huh. the 72-foot structure, and we were, of course, utilizing a volunteer group to build the structure, and, and things got rolling, going well, and then the volunteer group had to leave for the day. And so we were about halfway done, and we tied the greenhouse up for the night. But those things really aren't shored up completely until they're all the way built, and you have your terminal uh-huh. posts and things like that that they anchor to. And so the next morning I came back, and there had been a, a thunderstorm that came through, and so half of our 70-foot greenhouse was just laying like a bag of bones on the ground, bent up and so forth. And so neighbors actually saw, you know, they saw the storm come through and then they saw the before and the after. And so it was a very disheartening failure for us because we were just building out the site. It was the first steps to Lincoln Hill Gardens. And then it was a public failure as well, having the neighbors out there kind of seeing what had happened and so forth. But But we rallied together. We had another build day and we were able to obviously get the structure built and finished. But it was a learning process. And also kind of a community coming together process around, all right, let's come back again and fix this, you know, so. So was that the learning that the neighborhood kind of rallied? I think the learning was both don't let your volunteer group leave halfway through, but also that <laughs> right. when stuff does happen, people are more than willing to help. And even people in our neighborhood that we haven't known for a long time or that just meeting at this new garden site, they see you trying to do something positive and they want to contribute in some way. That invitation um, to people to help is probably what gets them off their couch. Not just the fact that something cool is being put in their neighborhood, but the fact that they're invited to help with it. And for us, that came in the form of, hey, will you help us lift this thing back up off the ground? That's what gets people engaged and gets people to kind of buy in to what you're doing. Perfect. Diana? Failure. So I was telling Stephen before this, I feel like there's just the daily failures, the daily failures within the classroom or even as I go out into community site. And I think it's just that daily coming back and and giving self grace and trying to kind of work together to continue to move forward. And then, and then for a project like this with Lincoln Hill, the ups and downs. And again, just as we see neighbors and UD students and everybody coming together, trying to, even though we're going to have differences and we're going to, those differences are going to come out that we are kind of encompassed with grace to, to kind of continue to get up and move forward. So what do you consider your biggest success? So my biggest success, especially on this project is right now, I think the biggest success is bringing the students and the neighbors together. I think the students learn so much from the neighbors and I think the neighbors learn from the students. Again, I think it's very hard for all of us to step outside of our comfort zone, to interact with people that we don't know, that maybe don't look like us, that haven't come from the same background as what we have come from, so on and so forth. So I think my biggest what I have seen with this project thus far is more in the social realm of just bringing people at from different generations, different ages, different places mm-hmm. together kind of for a common purpose. And then I'm hoping another success here in the future will be to really see change in, in eating behavior and change in health outcomes within the neighborhood. Excellent. Stephen? Yeah, one of the biggest successes that we measure at Mission of Mary is the relationships that we have with the families in the neighborhood. You know, we're doing a service like growing food for them, or we're doing a youth program with their children, or we have a teen employment program. But the successes that we really like to measure, and they've happened at least once at each of our four different garden sites now, is that a family will come to us and they'll say, you know, we actually moved into the neighborhood because of what we saw going on with these gardens. And that's happened several times. 
And we've also had more than two or three families come to us and say, we actually want to move out of the neighborhood, but you guys put that garden in down the street. And it's kind of been something that instills a bit of pride in the homeowners on the block. And so we see a lot of mirroring on the block. You know, if we're putting in something that looks beautiful, like a garden, all of a sudden we're seeing front lawns mowed a bit more or landscaping done or home gardens be put in by these families down the street. So that's really something that starts to subtly change the culture of a neighborhood, starts to change the way that the people and the residents kind of think of their neighborhood and think of themselves. So that's something that really makes us feel good. Excellent. So what is the big why for this project? One of my big whys that we do this project is for the food and for the food that we're able to grow and cultivate and then distribute to people who live in this neighborhood. People in this neighborhood don't have tremendous economic buying power, but when they make that decision to definitely want to cook healthy food for the family or to start to shop at a farmer's market or to make that decision, mm-hmm. we don't want price to be a prohibiting factor for them. So what we're able to do with our nonprofit, Urban Farm, is to subsidize the rate of the CSA memberships and the farmer stands that we have so that the food is even less expensive than it would be at like a conventional grocery store. So we subsidize the food down mm-hmm. by offering above market price memberships in our CSA program to families who can afford it. So we have the same food goes out to our members in the CSA, but people are just paying two very different prices for it. And so it's really a cool experience to hand someone, you know, 10 or 15 pounds of veggies every week, but it's two very different families and they're paying a different price point for it, but everyone's getting the same nutrition. And so that's really exciting for me. Yeah. Diana? The why for me on this project is definitely, again, looking at promoting healthy eating. So being able to increase food access Mm -hmm. and then change culture within a community that then hopefully leads to the behavior change and then enhances quality of life and enhances health overall. Not just physical health, but I think to eating good food, there's so much more to it than just the food. There is the socialization. It's something that brings us all just coming to the table around food. What does that mean? And the why for me is pretty holistic, but it's kind of having the food at the center and then creating kind of a culture of health around that food. So if you each could recommend one book for our listeners. What would it be and why? Mine would be The Return of the Prodigal Sons. It's by Henry Nowen. It's a book about him sitting in front of the Rembrandt painting of the, of the prodigal son and then just his reflections off of that. And even though it's not directly food-based, it's based uh-huh. on just looking at grace for ourselves and grace for others and also just being able to see kind of where we each have purpose. Perfect. Stephen? In a way, actually, kind of started this project. Uh, University of Dayton invites keynote speakers once in a while. Right after I graduated, the university invited Will Allen from Growing Power up in Milwaukee to come and speak. So his book, Good Food Revolution, I read and then actually had to go have the chance to go up and take some of his workshops and his training sessions. And so meeting Will and meeting Erica Allen, who does similar work in Chicago through Growing Power. Oh, yes. They're wonderful people, and they're very motivating, and they're really about grabbing your project and just going for it and and sort of pulling it up by bootstraps if you have to and really making a go of it and getting community engaged, you know, not just doing this in a bubble, but doing it with relationships and with the people that you're around mm-hmm. and then really doing it for that reason. Perfect. So Will Allen's Good Food Revolution has been pretty in- influential for me. Excellent. Excellent. So, Stephen, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? My advice would be, you know, whatever your project is, I would say 
just start it and, and go for it, even if it's a small scale. You really only learn well by, by experiencing and by doing. And you go and you do that thing until you get good at it, and then you start the next thing. You know, you don't worry about the future steps or the future things you need to learn. You just start with the one thing and you go for it. That's, that's my advice. Mm-hmm. Diana? Yeah, mine is to jump out of your comfort zone. Go try something new, whether it's a new food, whether it's a going to try to plant something different. Go out there and, and see what happens. And if you fail, there's only successes to come. So just keep trying. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you both for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out about this project? Lincoln Hill Gardens has a Facebook page. You can search and see what's happening at the site. Mission of Mary Cooperative also has a website, missionofmary.org, that we often link to what's going on at Lincoln Hill as it's one of our garden sites. But those would be some places you can go to check out. Yeah, you can also go to University of Dayton Hanley Sustainability Institute. Mm -hmm. And there's information there about this project, about Lincoln Hill as well. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Dayton Gardens. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.